this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and we are going to war. Yes, uh, after 10 years, a decade of Marvel films, finally the Avengers gather for the Infinity War, which was, of course, Infinity War Part 1. And let's face it, feels like Part 1. But here to uh, don their gloves and grab their stones are our faithful Avenger uh, critics, starting with Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? Uh, I'm A-OK, drying out from a a week of crazy rain here. And uh, Mr. Jason Diamond, how are you? Same. Yeah? My stones are drying, yeah, from uh, (laughs) a lot of, probably the same rain. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm in Australia and uh, no rain, but um, a a, a very, very cold winter here. It's uh, 18, (laughs) 19 degrees here. It's so cold, you've had to put, um, uh, you know, polo shirts and sweatshirts and stuff. It's just getting ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I mean, I had humanity. to... humanity. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Almost almost put on the seat warmer yesterday. So it's that bad. <laughs> hey, um, so here we are. This is like one of the biggest films of the year, possibly um, from a visual effects point of view. Uh, certainly every visual effects artist known to man uh, contributed to it. Um, so I guess we should just go around the table and say what we thought. And Jason, uh, thumbs up for you or down? I'm going to give this a full infinity, infinity gauntlet thumbs up. Ah, the all the stones. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I have seen all 20 Marvel movies and they haven't all been awesome. I think we've reviewed most of them. But the larger thing I was super impressed by was the fact that they were able to match and mix all the tones of all the different characters and all their all their separate uh, caricatures and mix them together and create new tones without them becoming uh, bungled and feeling kind of weird. And I don't know, I was just really excited when all the different characters came in, they interacted. The plot I thought was great. They made you empathize with Thanos, which, you know, anytime a villain, especially in a Marvel movie, isn't just a guy who's angry or got stung by something or is a villain just because and the villain actually has a a reason that while you may not like it's hard to argue with his logic in a lot of ways so uh i don't know i the cg was great for the most part i saw in both uh imax 3d and uh traditional flat imax um so and the score Alan Silvestri's score is sufficiently Star Wars. Yeah, I haven't seen, a villain, Star this, Wars. seen a villain this good since Dark Knight. Um, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was joking around afterwards and I said I thought it was like uh, the Marvel Universe as imagined by uh, Kierkegaard. <laughs> it, was like the, <laughs> it was like the super weird, absurdist, existential um, Marvel story. I, I don't know the... Um, Interesting the, that you, you went for Kierkegaard on that. I, I would have thought it was a Merleau-Ponty kind of existentialist uh, point of view. <laughs> Certainly not, uh, yeah, not well. uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, but, but okay, kick it out. <laughs> I, I'm with it. But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think it was one of those ones where um, I didn't know the story. I didn't know much about it um, other than, you know, what we were sort of leading up to and sort of the, and I didn't read any, um, didn't read any stories about it. And I, I thought it was really fun. It was, um, it had some moments uh, maybe that were, better than others and and some of the tonal uh shifts from drama to humor they didn't always work uh for me but overall like you know i think it's pretty admirable what um 
Marvel set out to do and that this is kind of the completion uh, of this sort of first huge stage of all these movies. And um, I thought, it, you know, it worked. I, I had a great time for sure. Yeah, I think there are several things that they managed to do really, really well. I think you're right. One of them was just at a plot level. I think it was very clever to end up with two battles. Um, it's unusual to do that, but, you know, by having a battle... Uh, that you could cut away to a different battle. Of course, it's a 149-minute movie, but by having the um, sort of Iron Man battle completely separate from the Rwanda battle was very clever because otherwise you get that problem where it's just a huge kind of sci-fi fight fest and, you know, it kind of makes no sense. It's like uh, those movies where you see like six guys standing around and only one of them at a time comes to punch the villain and it's like, what are the other five guys doing for, you know, <laughs> sort of taking in turns to get a weapon? Um, whereas I think by separating them out, you could cut back and forth between the two battles at the end and the audience kind of had something of interest and they were at different scales. Um, so that kind of made it work. Um, but well, yeah, also I mean, when one led into the other, which yeah, you weren't, you know, yeah. you didn't know. And, and, and it was really nice, I think, that that allowed them to have different characters doing different stuff. And on top of that, you know, keeping Cap separate from Iron Man um, was really nice. It wasn't like everything's forgiven, we just forgotten. That there have been times in the Marvel Universe where they're just like forgotten points of the plot. Like at the end of one mm -hmm. of the Iron Man films, he destroys all these Iron Man suits and then voila, next show, he's just back with all these suits again, right? Um, that wasn't the case here. It felt like there was kind of a... A connective tissue that really was working, um, and and I got to say, I I think that you're right. Like it's a really hard ask to have some pretty black stuff uh, then go to humour. In particular, if we start at the beginning of the film, um, you know, Loki dying is obviously really pretty upsetting and tragic, and then you're going to have this comedy uh, stuff once the Guardians of the Galaxy appear, and that's a really pretty hard ask to to sort of walk a believable line that, you know, doesn't have um, the brother of the killed guy uh, seeming odd if he's joking with, uh, you know, with a raccoon and a tree. So <laughs> some pretty Rabbit. deft work there. Yeah. I also liked the whole thing of Groot being on a, like a Game Boy type, you know, old school, you know, 80s video game the entire time. Hmm. That was a good nod for parents, you know. Oh yes, I such think. like terrible teenage years. <laughs> I can re I can totally relate. Yeah, well, Jason, I think I'm with you in that. The biggest success of the whole film is making it a Thanos film, not making it, uh, you know, like that. There's just an evil baddie. I mean, and I was I was only joking before when I said Dark Knight. I think Dark Knight, you know, you had a guy who just was psychopathic and wanted to burn it all down, but he was mesmerizing, and in a way, you were kind of rooting for him to be on screen. This time the villain was not a psychopath, but again, we weren't, I mean, we could have easily been looking at Thanos going, okay, get back to the guys I know, get back to the fun guys, you know, the evil guy, this is just sort of plot moving forward. I want to I want to get back to the people that I've come to pay my money for, but I didn't feel that at all. I found Thanos to be remarkably more interesting than I thought he was going to be because I was hugely upset by the representation of him about six movies or ten movies ago Yeah, when we saw him at the end <laughs> sitting in his throne looking out at space in what was clearly the most boring place in the world to sit for eternity. And I was like, he looks silly. He looks like a cartoon. It just looks comically stupid. Um, and from that point of view, I was very pessimistic about my attitude. But I guess not in the... I, mean, I don't know. What do you reckon, Matt? Was it the, was there something that was just in the face or was it in the modelling? But it just seemed to be a whole lot more believable Thanos given that he looked like a an old school... Um, 
you know, world wrestling version of uh, of a Simpsons uh, Homer, then, um, <laughs> but he, you know, he did look kind of believable. Whereas before he, I don't know, what do we think? What 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 was that? The, what did they do that made Thanos that much better to look at? I felt like they they had a whole different thing going on in terms of uh, facial animation, um, the motion capture. I thought that the Josh Brolin, you know, uh, the voice acting was was so strong, and then the the rendering quality and detail uh, in the skin and on the face, um, and the the subtlety of the facial motion capture and any secondary animation they added, I thought made him so much more lifelike and so much more believable. And the the writing for him was better. He had so much more sort yeah. of pathos, you know, going on. Like there was some, uh, you know, the whole thing of him having to uh, make a choice and make a sacrifice in order to, um, you know, attain, you know, what whichever stone it was or whatever the, the soul, soul stone, stone yeah. or something. Yeah, and um, I thought I thought that really added um, depth and nuance to the character, and it made him, I think, really the best villain in a Marvel movie since. Um, you know, Killmonger. I think, in the sense that he had, yeah. uh, he had like a real goal, a real mission, a real agency, he had purpose. Yeah, and and you could kind of, on one level, you you almost felt like you could sympathize or relate to his, um, you know, his uh, <laughs> his goal in some way. Maybe not his method, but you, you know, it's sort of like, well, it's it's crazy and it's pretty wrong. Like the the. Uh, you know, snap your fingers and half the the people in the known universe uh, are killed. But at the same time, too, his argument about you know um, the the greed, the the degradation, the waste. You know, like the the that uh, well, not just well, humanity. When he's, I yeah, guess. when he's like, talking to when he's talking to Gamora, I mean, he he gives two really good examples of why he thinks he's right, and you know, one is his action and one is inaction, right? Well, his action is he's talking to Gamora and saying, she's saying, you killed half the people on my planet. He goes, no, I call it mercy because if I didn't do anything, your planet would be destroyed and everyone would die. And by me killing half the people, there's kids who are your age when I met you who are now, you know, know nothing but thriving and, you know, uh, uh, a bustling, you know, planet. And okay, then but, he tells his story about no, but then he tells his story about about Titan, yeah. where he wanted to do that and they wouldn't let him. And then so you see both sides of the coin. I'm not saying he's necessarily correct in his methodology, but his from his character's point of view, his thinking is sound. So right? he's not a so absolutely. I know what you're saying. I think it's a really good point. The only thing I'd say is, and I don't know they've done it yet in a um, how it should have ended. But couldn't he have snapped his fingers and just doubled the universe's available resources? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Sure, of That's course. A- it's the glass <laughs> twice as big as it needs to be scenario. Yeah, like well, you could halve so everything good, yeah. or double everything else. But anyway, um, so getting back to the so, – so it's believable, I totally reckon. And I want to say that I I did a story on this on FX Guide. I think that it's very rare that you can pinpoint a moment where I think a film had a huge turning point in success. But I'm willing to – to suggest that that point happened when the digital domain team showed Josh Brolin an animation test before principal photography. Um, So we wrote about this and I think we can not overestimate how critical this is. From what I can understand, obviously I wasn't there, um, but they did this test about a month or two out of uh, getting some footage of Josh Brolin in character but also just talking to the directors. 
And what they did is they took that footage of him and then they made a full Thanos, full Thanos solution. Uh, and they placed it just in that uh, room next door to the torture chamber uh, that we would see in the film. But obviously it was got nothing to do with the actual uh, footage you and I saw. It was a throwaway piece of animation to prove the point of how it was going to work. And apparently Josh Brolin saw him doing himself, obviously as Thanos, doing this stuff. But some of the time he was just talking normally, right? Some of the time he wasn't in character. So some of what they did was just the sort of very low energy sort of way that you just naturally talk to someone. And mm-hmm. apparently Brolin saw himself as Thanos doing this low key talking and that came through. And so he just totally decided that he didn't need to pantomime it and went for this really kind of reserved normal acting um, as opposed to sort of feeling like he had to act through the makeup or, or the digital makeup right. of the That's character. Really cool. Um, and he did that right before the start of principal photography. And so the guy That's was smart. like, okay, I can... I can just do this normally and it's going to work. And everybody else saw it and agreed that it was going to work. Um, so they had sign-on from the directors, Marvel, the, direct, the actor himself, uh, everybody, um, that that was going to be a way to go. And I think that, um, I, mean, I should also point out, I guess, Weta did Thanos on the planet where he's fighting Iron Man um, and they contributed a huge number of shots, but the majority of the stuff was digital domain uh, and uh, all of the stuff that sort of basically wasn't on that planet of Thanos uh, is digital domain with a combination of two new um, or two key bits of tech, which I'm sure we'll get into in a bit. But yeah, I think that must have been a really big difference to not feel like he had to be to be pantomime and large and, you know. Well, and also also the character himself, if you're the most par- powerful char- you know, person in the universe, you don't really need to like do much. <laughs> you know, you can be just passionate and deliver your 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 uh, villain speech. You know, you don't have to really like sell it because every the whole movie, everyone just is saying he's the most powerful thing in the universe. Everyone's gonna right. oh, you know, like so. There's no reason for him to to be crazy. So it worked perfectly. Plus, his voice. I mean, his natural style is pretty relaxed. If you look at him in Sicario, it's basically the same thing, right? He's just he has just has a very stoic delivery. Um, it's good. But, I don't know who his agent is, but whoever his agent is, he should definitely <laughs> buy him a Christmas present because between this and Deadpool yeah. 2... Cable and Cable yeah. and Thanos, yeah, he's Rocks. got it covered. And also, I don't know if you guys saw that one, um, the Firefighter one, that um, that was his as well. Oh, right? yeah, I didn't see it, but he was yeah. in that, I, I believe. Remarkably better film than I thought it was going to be. Um, really, actually, pretty, yeah. pretty good. And, I have um, to see it. Yeah, I saw it like on Apple TV, but uh, he's just, you know, delivering good acting um, yeah. across the board. Um, so I yes. thought in this also there was no, like while there was exposition, it like at no point was I, I, did I feel like uh, to, to follow a reference you were making, like a Christopher Nolan film, I felt like, I, you know, the exposition worked and, yep. <laughs> and made sense because everyone had to explain things to people because nobody knew each other, which I thought was great that, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy are like, who the hell are you? And they're like, well, who the hell are you? And you're like, well, I know both of you guys. You know, like yeah. it was good for the audience to feel like they knew something the characters didn't. That wasn't a huge plot reveal, just literally, well, I was at a party with both of you, but you guys never met, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And I, uh, and uh, yeah, and, and I think they all meshed really well. I think also they did a good job, pick up, I think it was your point, Matt, about um, 
like if you were to use the analogy of paints, they didn't just take all the different colours that they had on their palette and mix them up and end up with a kind of a muddy grey. They kept the stuff apart a bit. So we got some of that great Thor Ragnarok humour. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say it was a bit of a harsh leap to get him to do that after Loki dying, but nevertheless they did it. Um, and it was, it was you know, that kind of irreverent, funny um, sort of, dumb He-Man uh, stuff about calling uh, Rocket, you know, the rabbit or whatever it was. And it was just, mm-hmm. it worked really, really well. But they didn't, they didn't sort of water everything down. So, I mean, those scenes between uh, Tony and um, Star-Lord were just hysterical, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and then, Thor and Thor the, and Star-Lord yeah. and like, you know, I thought it was smart. And I think the reason why some of those things work from the transition going from, you know, Loki's death into, you know, the other events taking place, uh, you know, on Earth and then they're on Titan. And then, uh, you know, I think the way things are sort of, before they go back to uh, Wakanda or whatever, I think the, the, there were times where the length of time you were in one um, story thread, at least for me in the theater, I was like, wow, this is going on a long time. And I, I'd, I'd almost started to forget like having only seen it once, I almost started to forget yeah. like, oh, what was going on with the other characters? And then they'd cut back to them and yep. they had progressed in their own story and were sort of moving forward. And so I think, you know, script wise and editorially speaking, like it gave uh, enough distance from some of the events, you know, to sort of come back and feel like, well, it's not that weird that it's not overly dark yeah. or overly morose or something like that. There is some levity you know that's going on i did um i did like the sort of underpinning father-son relationship which they set up in spider-man with between peter parker and and tony stark and then when that payoff when when he died yeah yeah, and when he dies you're just like oh my god like i have to say lucas my son as soon as the 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 heroes started you know turning into leaves which by the way was a stellar effect really cool um he was literally like, like as if you were watching Terms of Endearment or something, just like, you know, bawling for like 20 <laughs> minutes straight. Every time one of the characters would fall, he'd be like, <gasps> like, you know, like with his shirt over his face, you know, like wiping tears away. And I was like, oh, score. Like if I was the Russo brothers, I'd be like, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, just before we get to that, the other thing that I think was really healthy was not having New York or London trashed as the big fight Absolutely. sequence. Absolutely. And of course, yeah, there's it built a little off, New York in the beginning, but but you know what I mean, like not having iconically, that, yeah. exactly, not just having a just let's have another because I felt like we got some of the best building destruction ever in one of the Terminator films, uh, Terminator, the Transformer films um, mm-hmm, right. that ILM did. You got the buildings kind of crashing yeah. onto each other, and after that, it's almost like well, you know, whatever film it is, be it um, I don't know. Um, well, basically anything really. Um, the and of course the previous Avengers uh, film. Um, it just feels like yeah, you know, like like Rampage for example, like smashing Chicago. And I'm right. like, yeah, you know, like I just I don't need to see another set of skyscrapers um, topple and and uh, you know floors being busted apart. Agreed. Yeah. And it picked up on the fact that Can uh, I say the film was so successful. So I was going to say that uh, the Black Panther was so successful. It was kind of a nod to right. there. Can can I say the I think the best uh the best gag from or or like like play on a character for me was Peter Dinklage as the oh, yeah. dwarf who yes. makes the <laughs> makes all the weapons but he's yes. huge. Yes. Yep. That was that nice was amazing. Touch. But 
that ties into what I think is one of the key elements of the movie from a plot perspective is that everyone forgets that Thor is a god, right? Yeah. Like you don't really, I don't think until this movie you really understand what that means. And really it means currently he is the most powerful being in the universe, really, more than Thanos. Thanos has the gauntlet, so that helps him. But, you know, Thor can hold, he's 1,500 years old and he can like bear the brunt of a star, a neutron star, you know, passing through him. And then I, we can get to this later, but I thought Stormbreaker was awesome. Like when he showed up with Stormbreaker, you're like, right, Thor's going oh, to everybody's the axe, ass. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the, the, the axe. Well, especially Groot's with Groot arm. doing the, yeah, the handle was a really nice yeah. touch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're like, what is Groot going to do? You yeah. know, and you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's actually enough. That, like, yeah, that's given a, the way they play him. Contribution, yeah, yeah. So, so I, 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 uh, I don't know. That's why, I, like, all these beats would come through the story, and I'd be like, oh, oh, right, oh, okay. Like everything worked really well, including the little cameo by the Red Skull, which I thought was super cool on mm-hmm. Vormir. Uh, yeah, they're not you know, the original actor. Like, Did you see that? They, they swapped no, out. Yeah, it um, wasn't Hugo Weaving. Oh. Huh. Interesting. Uh, but yeah. I think we could probably get into the visual effects at this point, but yeah, let's do that. So, so starting on the ship, um, obviously the Asgardian ship that's uh, the you know attack that uh, that starts the whole thing off. Um, I thought that uh, the character animation was so good on Thor, um, uh, sorry Thor on um, Thanos uh, that I wanted to just flag it again. So as I said, we did this article about it, but um, what's really interesting about it is the different way in which. Um, digital domain approach this. And uh, interestingly, like they just didn't go about it um, in it's quite exactly the same way that people have done it before. They had this double technique of using this thing called uh, Masquerade and then uh, Direct Drive. Now, Direct Drive they've used before, not least of which on, um, on uh, Beauty and the Beast. But this uh, approach of up-resing um, from the uh, facial capture. We'd seen it, SIDGRAPH, last year. There was a paper on it um, where they showed it. They didn't obviously mention this film, but they showed how they were uh, uh, using some intelligence to go up from what they were getting from the facial markers to a much higher res. And then from there, using the direct drive uh, over to, um, uh, to, to map out to the face. And it just produces some really nice results. But uh, it's pivotal on having input from Disney Zurich Research and their, um, their rig for uh, scanning faces, which is uh, their sort of, I guess not replacement, but instead of having a light stage, they, um, uh, they use their Medusa rig. And this is really interesting to me, obviously, for a lot of reasons, but not least of which is that it just feels like such a strong area at the moment um, in terms of development. We're seeing, you know, sort of quite significant changes in uh, process. This isn't just like uh, better animation and, you know, they spend more time on it. This is coming up with new and different ways to try and solve the face problem. And of course, this is pretty pivotal because they're still doing it to a face that is not human. It's human-esque. Um, but I guess my question to you, Matt, is on, on the basis of this, somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want to do a fully digital Brad Pitt, and I'm not going to age him like I did in um, in Benjamin Button. How far are we off seeing that? Do you reckon uh, doable as a photo real character? I mean, I think it's it's really close. I mean, I think we've seen several examples in the last twelve months that I think are are really 
they're very close, you know, I mean, it's, it's not far off. I think, um, you know, the, the fully digital character, uh, I think one of the reasons, and this is sort of hard to tell, right. But I, I, I can't help but feel like one of the reasons it works so great on Thanos or one of the reasons it works so great in uh, war for the planet of the apes is that they're not human, right? Like they're almost human, right? They're, they're human like they're human esque. And so the movement, the motion, you know, we just as people maybe don't, we don't have the same, um, response, uh, psychological or physiological response when we watch uh, a digital sort of almost human character as we do to like Peter Cushing or uh, the Carrie Fisher likeness or even the Rachel likeness in uh, Blade Runner Mm -hmm. 2049. So I think, um, but, but, you know, those, those get pretty dang close. Like, and for some people, I think they're already convincing. I think Paul Walker's has been probably the most successful to date, actually. Mm. Yeah, I guess I, I have to confess I, I haven't seen that one. So Well, because they, they have actually posted now Weta's um, before and after. I think it was the reel that they did for the VS Awards. We saw it. Uh, we saw our reel for the VS Awards when we were judging. Um, mm-hmm. But there's now on the net, uh, they put it up by accident about a year ago and took it down about a week later. Um, <laughs> but it's now, uh, you can just Google it and uh, and it's up. And it's it's benefits enormously from having his brothers as the kind of stand-ins that they're working from. Nevertheless, um, I would say, I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean, that's my vote. If I had to, if I was like right now uh, talking about uh, sort of completely normal human face stuff, that seems to be the best. Though I think that this Thanos stuff for a character is some of the best we've ever seen. Mm. What do you think? I mean... I mean, I would also, even though they're they're humanoid, you know, the Maw, the dude, the guy who gives the speeches, the Britishy guy, Thanos's like sort of envoy. I thought he was he was really successful. I know his face is a little more, you know, I like the Squidward joke about him yeah. from uh, Iron Man, which was funny. But also Proxima Midnight. That's the the Carrie Coon character, um, the the female envoy of his, yeah, who was like kind of like Indian. Played. <laughs> yeah, she has like Indian war paint-y kind yeah. of face. I thought she was super successful. I mean, they went in for some really dramatic close-ups on her, and that's kind of that's kind of my uh, gauge for how comfortable the VFX houses and directors are with the technology is when they clearly have no qualms about going in for very human uh, human esque shots on CG characters that are uncomfortably close for what you would expect from the technology. And I think the second Apes movie was the first, to me, that movie opens and closes on close-ups on Caesar. Mm, yeah. And and to me, that was the that was the one of the turning points for me to say, okay, you know, everyone is like putting their foot down and saying, we can do this. And I think since then you've seen a lot of it, certainly in the following Planet and Apes movie. But in this, you know, they do on both Thanos and, you know, granted the their big hulky hammer guy uh, from Thanos's crew. But you know, the the more human esque ones like the Maw and uh, Proxima Midnight, I thought they did. Uh, I thought they were super super successful. Not to mention all the obvious digital double work on the human actors. Um, and the Hulk, even I thought the Hulk looked, he continues to look 
fantastic. And I thought uh, he's I, one of my I, favorite characters. So. Yeah, I don't think the whole character animation, the facial animation on Hulk is, I feel like it's actually not as solid as it has been. I felt like, uh, that's interesting you say that. I mean, I agree with you in, in principle and I certainly think, I don't know, looking back at Avatar and then looking forward to the next X sure. number of Avatar films that they're about to do. I mean, I can't <laughs> wait to see what... Because at, at Jim Cameron level, taking this tech to a close to human face um, that's obviously still blue, yeah. um, I can't imagine what a leap that's going to be. Um, but yeah, I, I was interesting you like... I mean, I like Hulk as a character, um, but I didn't like his face in Ragnarok that much and I didn't notice a significant... Uh, Matt, what do you reckon? Uh, I mean, Hulk was so uh, not in the movie, really. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't he was he was sort of barely there. Um, but I think I would uh, thinking back to Hulk in Thor Ragnarok, um, I think where we really did see him much closer. I think I would agree. I think I feel like there were moments with Thanos in this movie that uh, far exceeded just oh, some, for sure. some of the close-ups, some of the emoting, some of the you know, subtle movements. I mean, it just, it felt so much more, but it's also, it's a, you know, he's a different character. He's capable of more nuanced speech, maybe more nuanced facial expression than Hulk. Like Hulk is so, um, Hulk is almost sort of more as a, as a character design, I think maybe slightly more problematic to attain, well, I don't know, maybe I'm, wrong about this though as i think about it as i'm saying it it seems almost like i was just gonna say that because because he's he's um he's more like that whatever the what you mentioned him jason that axe wielding uh you know thanos bad guy he's kind of more like that in a way he's like a he's like a giant orc or or you know troll or something as opposed to thanos who still is exaggerated in his proportions to say the least, but there's something sort of more human about his, the placement of his features on his face maybe. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, when he turns around, when, when Gamora's talking to him on Vormir and he turns around to say, you know, she says, you don't love anything. And he turns around and he goes, no, you're wrong or whatever. And his face looks, he's pained. I mean, the audience, it's, I mean, they're telegraphing it. We know what he's going to do, but, but the, the emotion on his face and the tears and the things like you buy it straight up. You don't say, Oh, look, Oh, that's so stupid or whatever, both from it because you're connecting emotionally the character, which then means that the, that the CG and the motion capture and animation are successful. Yeah. Well, they, and they, they also, I felt like that in that shot you're describing in particular, the other thing that really jumped out at me and maybe just cause I'm also a bald dude like Thanos, but <laughs> was, um, you know, the, the detail, of the pores and hair follicles um, on his mm-hmm. his uh, skull, you know, or on his yeah, scalp, yeah. and that well, stuff he turns his head to the side, and you see his big giant neck, and where it goes into the, the bulb of his skull, mm-hmm. and like he looks like a football player's head. Like, yeah, and, and that, those dudes that attention behind. to detail, that high frequency detail in the skin texturing and stuff, I thought, and the way the the light was sort of like a uh, rim light, so you're getting a really nice um, sort of modeling of those little, you know, <laughs> that sort of high frequency ZBrush kind of look that you can achieve. Mm-hmm. I feel like that stuff really, really, when it's moving and it's moving with that really um, fine uh, facial capture, uh, it just, it really sells it in a way that, um, I don't know, I just, you, you notice that stuff. It jumps out at you. It's like, wow, that that looks real, you know? I, w- I would add to that. I would add to that when, 
what's her name? The the Guardians of the Galaxy girl with the antennas. I forget her name. Mantis. Mm-hmm. When Mantis is on his head, yeah, and she's got her hands yeah. on his head. I mean, clearly at that point you're you're showing scale because of how she is. Yeah. But the pain, the strain in his face. And the way his mouth is opening and you see his teeth and he's, his speech looks strained, like that's super hard because you're just saying like, look in his mouth, right? You're telling the audience, look right here, which on CG can be problematic, you know, if you're not like a million percent selling it. And there is no, I saw nothing in that scene, save maybe some depth of field, you know, no mid-ground issues, but that's more of a composition issue. Uh, um, there was like at no point were you thinking there is not someone on his head, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, no. Well, she was fully digital, he was fully digital, but it was great work by Wetter. I totally agree. Yeah. Hey, um, so what I was going to say was, did it not strike you as funny that we saw Hulk running in the iconic shot in the trailers in Wakanda, but when we's actually when we're actually in the film? Uh, Banner only appears inside the uh, Hulkbuster outfit and there is yeah. no Hulk running through the forest. The iconic shot with, you know, Captain America and uh, Black Panther running, you know, uh, leading a charge through the jungle just isn't a shot in the movie. Hmm. I didn't even like, look at the trailer. Even remember that. Yeah. Look at the trailer. Look at any of the sort of quite iconic imagery around the film before it came out and Hulk is there in green in the middle of that... Like hmm. there's uh, Black Widow and uh, Winter Soldier, and you know they're basically the guys from were kind of ru- running towards camera through the jungle. It's super like you know here we go, uh, and when that got to be in the actual film, uh, it's you know Hulkbuster. Is that, do you know? Do you know? Is that a is that a plot? Just just a story plot decision, or is there? Well, it like must a technical, be. I mean, it would have to be. Yeah, you know, I mean, like clearly, there's any technical reason why they decided to like? Well, let's not do another. I don't think anyone's publicly well, said Well, I can why. also. Yeah. I can tell you this, and I can't tell you who I heard it from, but it is legit that the the trailer teams at Disney, uh, or Lucasfilm uh, and Disney Marvel, whatever, they actually have their own. They are given their own device to and leeway to make shots that work for trailers that because they have access to the CG teams, so and assets. So it very well could have been someone in marketing and trailer being like, we need to see, you know, X things and we don't actually even care what's in the movie. That's yeah, very I mean, it, highly possible. You could have said, okay, so Banner and these characters are on Wakanda in the script and they're running towards the, the battle and you just assume sure. it's going to be Hulk and there you go. Having said that, yeah. like it was such an iconic image that clearly somebody just said, hey, um, we're just going to go with that. And uh, let's not worry about yeah. it. Yeah, um, I, I, I did think I did think Banner in the Hulkbuster was was actually a great uh, ploy. You know, great great thing ploy, for him but to probably be able the to worst fly. visual effect shot in the film. Don't Absolutely, you think? the worst <laughs> yeah. shot the in the shot, <laughs> and he ends where they shot where they're just, on it forever. Yeah, when his head comes so out, yeah. he just slumps in the side of the suit, and I'm like. Oh my god! And I, I'm not even sure that wasn't done in the grade because I would have been very dark in the suit, and he yeah. just sits out like he's like an A. Yeah, he doesn't B have the same black levels, and no, yeah, and it's it's one of those shots where like, you know, as a as a compositor, 
I mean, who oh. knows what the, the comp looked like, maybe different before the grade, like you say, but like as a compositor, those are the shots that like, if you get that shot and you're chasing your tail, trying to make it look right for a really long time and it never quite looks right. Those are the ones that like, those are the worst kind of shots. And it was, it literally was, I was going to bring that one up. That is the worst shot in the movie. And it's, yeah, by it far. is really, like, really awful. It's bad. I was at FMX and I saw this with a group of compositors and visual effects artists, like there were about 10 of us. And uh, <laughs> it was great fun, but we were all just sitting there and it was just like, oh my God, is this <laughs> like, the, is, this a, is this a temp shot? What the hell? Um, it was, yeah. It was. It's amazing that it was, all bad. the work is so consistently good, and it's amazing that that one, for some reason, like you know, it's also Unless, the, the uh, composition of that shot too is yes. so flat. You know, I think Unless that's this was some last minute change to take Hulk out, and so that shot, like I'm not saying I know this for a fact, right? But imagine yeah. that Hulk was in, unlike what we've been theorizing about and guessing. Mm-hmm until very late and he was pulled out very late, in which case that shot would have been a, a late drop in and didn't maybe have the time to get finessed. But anyway, I don't know who did it, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a clanker. I'm going to point out another other series of shots that I don't think are bad in terms of like that, like, oh, it could have been fixed in a, in a, a comp or a grade or something. But in an hour, there's yeah. a there was a, a, a large number of shots on Titan and, and I, this really stuck out to me when I saw an IMAX 3D and the 3D conversion was actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but when there's a bunch of shots and, and of course they shot Alexa 65 and it has the Panavision Ultra 70 logo at the end. So depth of field is, you know, the it's a large frame. So depth of field is, is uh, shallow even at uh, you know, close down stops and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of shots that I thought might have been part of the conversion, but looked exactly the same when I saw it flat on like a 70 foot by 30 foot, you know, uh, IMAX screen uh, in Denver. The um, uh, Iron Man and there's, I forget who's there, they're on Titan and they're talking at somebody, but they're looking at camera and there was literally no mid ground uh, in the composition with the Doctor so you Strange, you see them. Maybe when, yeah, maybe when they're when they first get there and they're talking back and forth to Doctor Strange, and the background is just as big, blurry mess as it would be if you lensed it that way. But but they just look like cutouts mm. because like it just looks like a like a bad comp, even though I know it's not because it was comped really well. But there was just there was there should have been like a like a piece of metal or like a part of a ship or I don't know something in the midground just to break up the depth yeah, of the field. Yeah, composition the fall off makes it. Yeah, it was it was, a, it was a cinemat- cinematography choice. Uh, you know, if it if because it was a green screen, obviously, but in in what whoever designed the the digital background, there was nothing in the midground in most of Titan's stuff in those, when they were in that little area mm-hmm. having their conversations, it was, it felt kind of confusing visually to me. Can I just say one of the funny things about that, uh, that you just mentioned is what happened with the cinematography. So they shot it 65 with anamorphics. So what's that going to give us? Yep. Big wide frame. And then somebody goes, oh, we need to make it for IMAX. Okay, well, we need to obviously have height. So they then cropped in left and right tremendously, throwing away that extra bit of frame left and right Mm. to bring it back to the aspect ratio of IMAX 
and then cropped it in from top and bottom to give us the widescreen that we see in the traditional cinema. Ugh. You with me? Yuck. Ugh. So, yeah. yeah, that's horrible. So you've got this 65 plate <laughs> of which half the audience is the, the sides of, thrown yeah. away and the other half has the sides and the tops thrown away. Um, hmm. Now, I guess it's testament to the 65 that still looks pretty good, but it just seems like, oh my God, could we not Ugh. have done that better? Um, well, I wouldn't yeah. have known that if you hadn't told me. So, you so know. you get the anamorphics on the close-up shots with the shallow depth of field. You get the anamorphic uh, bokehs in the background. You get the like lens flares and those kind of characteristics. Yeah. They're all cool, but you don't just get the edges of frame. And in certainly in the cinema I saw, which was on IMAX, I don't get the top and the bottom and the left right. and the right of the frame, which is just Ugh. killing me. Um, yeah, I mean Trent Opelock did a he did a killer job on this. Uh, he's the DP. Yeah. But I mean, I just don't like that pipeline myself. It just seems like no, it's a, horrible. I would, I would, I would be kicking and screaming the whole way. Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? Why are we going to shoot IMAX right? then? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, but you can't even throw, you can't even reframe things top and bottom because you need that top and bottom for the IMAX version. I guess you yeah. could frame things left and right as much as you wanted, um, but nevertheless, it was just a harsh choice. I thought. Um, yeah. Okay, so. Can I also pick up on a point earlier? I think that you made, Jason, about the, um, uh, I think you said turning to leaves. It's the, quote, death scene of all the characters. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, obviously, we way past it. But um, so in all of the press, you'll note they don't call it the death of the characters. Um, it's very carefully described, not as the death of all the characters, by anyone who's officially speaking on behalf of Marvel. Um, and what do they, they call it? Uh, there's a whole lot of names for it, actually. Um, and it's really interesting, but it's, uh, it was designed, because I've spoken to some of the teams that worked on it, it was designed to neither look like, it had to look like something we hadn't seen before that looked like either a transporter or a death ray. So in other words, if you'd had an internal flames it would have been that they've been vaporized because we have shorthand from other films that tells us that's what that is. If it had right. been like sort of overlaid on top of the characters um, with some light, then it would have been shorthand for transporters from the whole sort of Star Trek world. So they had to have something that didn't incorporate any visual language in the zeitgeist to tell you whether it was death or transportation. Um, and so they came up with this uh, sort of turning to... Um, a dust-like suggestion, like a uh, a thing that sort of looks like it could be dust, or could be yeah. leaves, it or felt could like be leaves something. to me. Yeah. yeah, or maybe the maybe because they because Bucky was the first one to, uh, or yeah, right. Bucky was the first one to go, and he turned to, he turned to, he was in the woods, and they sort of look down, and he rifles through the leaves to see him. So maybe your brain goes leaves. Uh, to your point about not having seen it before, actually, while you were saying that, I was rifling through my brain, and there's one movie that I think you would be the I I don't think it is a ripoff, or I would not use that word, or really combine them in any way, but the sort of flash frying scenario that happens to people in War of the, War Worlds, of the Worlds. Yeah, I was just going to say very, that. Yeah, yes. very similar yeah. in the it's like a slow motion ashy. There was more yeah. explosion and it was an exterior force, but it was the only, yes. they did some close-ups where the face was still there. Like in this yep. one when like, you know, people would go away and you'd see their face, you know, in the dust before they would, before they would fall away. So as, um, as I understand I it, thought, 
The effect is officially called the blip effect <laughs> and uh, it was generated from concept art inside Weta, though it was picked up by others uh, in particular for the post-scene credit, uh, post-credit scene, sorry, um, which yep. we can come to in a second. Um, but it was, and I'm quoting now, it was designed to look uh, like to have emotional gravity and a very supernatural, naturalistic look of wood burning, turning to ash, um, but not yeah. a simple disintegration effect, but otherly, otherworldly. So there you go. I'll, I'll tell you why it works. Out to me, because it works narratively, with, as all these things should, right? As we always say, like, yeah, it's going to be a great effect, but does it work in the film? And the fact that you saw that effect like 12 times in a row, literally, and personally, I never got bored of it. Like I, you know, it's coming, right? They cut to another scene where no, where there's all a bunch of people. You're like, who's gonna get it? Yeah, right. And when it happens, you're not like, okay, well, let me wait for that to be over. Like they, every time it worked, and every time it was emotionally impactful because of where it happened in the story, and you know, from a narrative perspective, and it serviced the story every time, and it was beautifully done every time. Yeah. So that's, you know. But also wasn't it good because once we knew the effect was what it was, you got the advantage of seeing someone's face while we knew they were going. It was like yep. in like a death scene, right, where somebody's shot and they're lying there going, you know, one more for the gipper kind of thing and then they pass out and die. <laughs> in this case, they were like their arm was going. So you knew that they were going, but you still got to have them have the realisation that they were, quote, dying slash disappearing slash whatever mm-hmm. And let them deliver the I'm scared line that, you know, obviously picked <laughs> it so poorly, um, you know, uh, Matt's kids. Um, but, you know, like it's just that kind of thing. <laughs> you, 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 it's a perfect device that, you know, like the, yeah. the end gag with, uh, with Nick Fury with like mother and he's out. Yeah. He's yeah. Is a, is a classic. <laughs> yeah, that design. was awesome. Um, you want it to not be too fast or you don't get that, right? It's the realisation that they're going that's so, so hard to take. I thought it was just uh, just a very effective tool, very well used. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, and it happens enough times, I think, that, you know, you, as you cut to different characters and you know, oh, somebody's going to, a couple, a, a person or two is going to disappear here. You, it happened enough times that you could watch different parts of the effect too. So uh, mm-hmm. it really had to have uh, finesse and detail. If, if I could, you know, this wasn't the disintegration effect, but two... Um, visual effects that I thought from a design standpoint and an execution standpoint that are kind of similar that I loved in this movie. And um, I wanted to make sure I mentioned them was I loved the, um, when the reality stone is used and they ribbon um, Mantis (laughs) and they do a break of Drax. I loved both of those effects. And I thought, they were so imaginative very and Escher-y. so yes yeah. yeah, so creative and interesting and even when they sort of recompose i thought um that kind of um uh those sort of dynamics with uh that design i saw the technical papers preview and there's some really interesting uh splicing and dicing of some um hmm. uh soft body dynamic stuff that's in the uh Seagraph uh, uh, presentation coming up this summer, but um, yeah. and it made me think of that when I saw it. But I, th- those two effects uh, in that scene um, on, I think they were on Titan, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But no, they were on no, nowhere. No. Yeah, they were when, nowhere. Exactly when the, he was. Um, yeah, 
they were they were all over the place. Yeah, it's hard to remember where they were, but um, <laughs> but I, I love those. I thought those were so beautifully done and um, really interesting. When uh, Mantis ribbons and you see her her eye blink like on one of the face fronts mm-hmm. of a ribbon that sort of falls forward, and the way she sort of cascades, almost like a bowl of um, you know spaghetti or pasta kind of uh, falling out of a bowl or something. It was it was well, really really well done and something that felt really original and unique. In the context, and then of the to story. riff, and then to riff on that, they do a similar thing with Nebula when she's oh, being yeah. interrogated. And I thought that was great. The, it's it's called anamorphism, you know, when something is it doesn't look like anything until you get to a specific yep. perspective and everything lines up. And I thought they did that really well because you look at her and she's all stretched out, yep. and then they come or the camera dollies around and she just slowly gets put back together visually, and then yeah, they keep how going fun, to the left. How fun is a shot like that to work on? Yeah, you know? I mean, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Not and yeah, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a really great uh, shot. But I just wanted to point something out, and this goes to what you were saying before about like what we were talking about before about like advancements of certain things like facial uh, animation or character animation is when well, I was with my friend Andrew and, and when we were all in, in Denver uh, uh, on a job recently and we um, he looked at me when they do the first high wide of the Wakanda battle when they start charging and he goes, this is like a better version of the final battle in episode one. <laughs> Totally with the dome. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah you're I exactly had that same right. thought, yeah. It's- <laughs> and it's all, it's it's tough because it's all in really bright daylight, which I think is yeah. always hard to do. But I mean, it's pretty successful. I mean, there's a few bits and pieces maybe that are a little bit tough. I'm not, I'm not sure what I think about the design of those uh, multi-legged venom sort of looking uh, yeah. monsters, you know, I'm not sure what those you were. You know why? I didn't mind them so much because you, they didn't focus on them. Uh, yeah, but they're so like, but they're sort of the so primary uh, yeah. force to reckon with. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. but they but they were just like a horde. So I was kind of like, okay, they look vicious and that's enough for me. They didn't, if they would have like focused on it more, I think it would have bothered me. But but I I I have a huge problem with, with the pick one from column A, one piece from column B, one piece from column C, monster creature design that's been going on for the last, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, 10, yeah, 15 the, the years. the quiet place monsters or... Oh, know. God, yeah. Yeah. They're, they all come from versions of the Rancor at this point and Predator, square face, you know, tentacly... And the Demogorgon kind of flower yeah, Demogorgon. face yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought too the uh in the that end battle sequence, just to touch on that a little bit more too, was the um when the large uh ships come down and they land, mm-hmm. uh I thought a lot of that was really great. Although there was one or two shots when they start to go back up in the air again. Um mm-hmm. there were a couple of um uh smoke and dust uh smoke, dust and dirt like billowing plumes where the scale felt uh, too small for the size that they were doing. Like it, it, it strained right. believability slightly, but they were really short. Um, the ones that stuck out, but I thought that was really cool. I thought some of those, um, the sort of triangular, um, tall ships, but then also the ones that were like the donuts, I thought were really cool looking too. Yeah, those were cool. They felt kind of like, um, 
the circle bikes in uh what movie was that where they're like uh I can't remember sitting in the middle of like a big kind of energy circle bike. Uh Men in Black. Oh yeah. Was that the third one? Yeah, Men in Black when they were in the in the wheel. Uh, effectively, or the, yeah. the wheel. Yeah. or the alien yeah. horseshoe ship too. Kind oh, of sure, yeah, that yeah. because yeah. it's somewhat asymmetrical. So, yeah. so can I switch gears just to that mm. end end uh, post uh, credit sequence now that was done by Rise, um, and I think Rise did a really nice job of it. And uh, when I was at FMX, I got a chance to sit down with the guys and and talk about it with them. And it's a it was nice actually to dig in one single shot because you know I, I love um, the big shots, but you know there are little things like hey what point did you go CG and how come I don't see the camera crew reflected in the car? And, um, and, and I, I learned some stuff from that discussion that I just wanted to like share with you. Firstly, uh, leaving aside the visual effects of the fact that they had to um, you know, put a new building in up the end of the street for the helicopter to crash in. What's really interesting is that that was shot incredibly well and that what I got from these guys was that Marvel just knows how to shoot stuff now really, really well. They didn't have to paint out of a lot of reflections in cars because they simply shot it really well. So there weren't reflections in the car of the crew, even though if you remember the shot, the camera is like a kind of a one shot tracking forward and then turning back and following back around. Um, and that they got absolutely all the stuff they needed in terms of, you know, really good HDRs and reference and they had scanned models of the principal actors that they had, of course, to, to um, blip effect on. And uh, so it was just interesting to hear that, as you would hope, Marvel at a technical level is just very good now at implementing um, that kind of stuff. And, of course, you then hand it over to companies like Rise who can do a really nice blend between the live action and, of course, the CG version of the characters because the last part of that shot is all CG once, um, of course, Nick Fury is dying and the, the back of the car and the pan down of the dropping of the, um, of the pager, that's all CG. And, and you just, I just feel like it's a really nice uh, merge. But I was just so heartened to hear that um, when Marvel has a sort of a single shot like that to set up uh, as a production, it isn't, you know, we'll fix it in post. It's actually, hey, we know exactly what we're doing. We're going to do this really well, we'll give you exactly what you need. We'll set it up so that there's light left and right. So you've got motivation for the lighting on the characters, but you're not got a high con. So the effect will stand out of what's going on. It's just, you know, picking up on your point earlier, Jason, it's just nice cinematography, respectfully done for the VFX artist, not let's just create a nightmare and solve it later. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought that all worked well and it was a nice nod to the Captain Marvel movie coming out. But who designed yeah. that pager? Was that Red designed <laughs> that pager to look like their new phone? <laughs> <laughs> hey, um well, if we can just digress from the visual effects for a second, um I, I'm just interested in your point of view. Like you've raised the Captain Marvel movie. I think that's very clever that that's set pre all of this back in the nineties. Because A, you get to do a sort of semi retro thing, B, you solve the problem that you don't have to you know suddenly make this film the one that um, that solves all problems, but as clever as that sounds and as terrific as that is, and of course there are some plot points to be solved, like where the hell has she been for the last decade or two? Um, there's also the question of like, what's your attitude to Ant and Wasp Man? Because uh, Ant and Wasp, because Ant Man and Wasp is coming out, presumably set in this universe after this has all happened. It's certainly. You know, he was absent. Um, I think there was one reference to the character. Do, do we feel like... Yeah, they say he was under house arrest or something. Yeah, do we feel like we... I mean, I've heard people say, how can I go and watch a normal single character kind of heist 
gag film when I've just had this. Like, and we're going to have yeah, those films and, and Captain Marvel before we get to what effectively is part two of this. There's also Guardians 3 and, Super, and Spider-Man 2. So I'm, I'm super interested to see uh, really how they do that and make it work. I'm sure they will. But I'm just curious how the audience will respond to it and how they will reference it, if at all. You know what I mean? Like, because they have to be pre this, but how? And if so, what? Like, how is Spider Man going to tie into this? Because I don't know where Spider Man 2 would fit if they're just going to jam it in just before. And like, that'll be weird. So, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm, he's not there, right? <laughs> no, I know. So that's what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. they have to jam it in before, but then, like, that's kind of weird because we know what's going to happen to him. It's like kind of like Wolverine. They put Wolverine enough, you know, the uh, Logan so far enough in the future well, except that, that they could make movies prior to that if they want to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know what's going to happen to him, like, you know, for the time being, you know? Like, I don't know if we right. know what's going to happen to him forever, you know? Like, I, I almost yeah. don't know if it matters in a way. Like, I mean, I think it's it's interesting to think about. It would be, it would be really weird to have a movie come out that is in between these two that has half of the world's population that's vanished. It would be like, you know, some, you know, Marvel leftovers, you know, hybrid <laughs> Damon Lindelof kind of thing, you know, it'd be so. Please don't, please yeah. don't say that name in relation <laughs> to the be, Marvel it would be Cinematic so, Universe. It would be so weird, like, and it would it would be tough to do it. So, I mean, it's a good question, but I think what How they'll probably want. How close are we wind- to Marvel overload? I mean, I've heard people say, like somebody mm-hmm. was posting on social media, and they were like, it's, uh, you know, uh, May the it's 4th. Here. No, but they were like, it's May the 4th. Like that's a Star Wars thing, right? If anyone cares mm-hmm. anymore. Because they sort of, the, the sentiment was, I'm just so overloaded on Star Wars and they're milking it so much that it's it's taken the shine out of it. Um, I don't know if that's a universal attitude, but it's just that particular one. But, you know, people are now sort of raising the question, are we going to just get burnt out between now and the part two by just at least, how many did you do list? Four other films? That seems like we're, I mean, at some point as the audience... Well, they're not necessarily go, right before the next Avengers movie, but they're close. But I mean, it's... Right? I mean, that seems there's just like 20 more has. movies. You know, it just they're really gonna make dip- forty movies in twenty years. So, like, there's still yeah. twenty more movies they're gonna make. Well, yeah, in theory, as long as they keep making money. I mean, and you know, it's not like this film hasn't done well at the box office. It's and no. uh, the previous Marvel uh, Endeavor, went Black Panther, I think, yeah. uh, it was the highest grossing of all of them to date, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, it's clearly. If audiences are having fatigue, like I, you know, I could see starting to sort of express some of the fatigue, but people are still going to see them, you know. But and we I haven't think even really, well, well, we, Infinity War has made one point seven billion dollars worldwide yeah. in twenty two days. Yeah, but here's the thing, yeah. right? And on top of all of that, you're throwing in Deadpool, any other X Men, any other DC movies, of which there's Aquaman and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, at some point. Um, Surely, at some point, the audience just starts to go, "Oh my god, another!" Or, or don't they? I mean, I don't know. You know, like the James well, Bond films ran out to a huge number, but they weren't coming out at the rate of two a year. 
Well, I think one of the clever things that they're able to do with these movies, which we've talked about before, is that they can play with and um, they can play with genre, you know, because these characters and the worlds they inhabit and the places they come from are so different in ways. Some of their histories are different enough that you can sort of riff on and play with genre. One of the things I was thinking about watching this movie, and at least in the first act, I kept thinking, you know, it was a huge mistake in the Marvel planning of stage one to not have done the standalone Black Widow movie um, and make a film that was kind of like Atomic Blonde or something, you know, like, which again would have been kind of different in flavor for some of the films from the Marvel universe. And if Atomic Blonde is essentially a James Bond movie, in essence, right? It's sort of a, I think, uh, you you could have had a film like that for Black Widow or something. And so I think, you know, as long as the the genres change, the stories remain compelling, um, and these big name actors are willing and interested in doing it, um, I don't know. I feel like it could, it still feels like it has some gas left in the tank, um, Okay, then I don't know do if it's going to make it 20 movies, but we'll see. Do, do me this favor. Just between the two of you, just give me a psyched or bored as I give you the names of the films in terms of psyched to see it or bored. Like you, the, the, I, the, the likelihood, I guess, that you would see it and pay money at the box office or yeah, if it's on the plane, I'll watch it. Okay, so, so start with, uh, so what's the first one going to be is Ant-Man and Wasp. What's yeah, I'll see that. I like. I enjoyed Ant Man, so I'll, I'll see that. I, I actually am kind of psyched to see it, but not because of the characters. What I'm psyched to see it for is that it it's going to have to do. I think what are two of my favorite things in CG, which is you know uh, macro scale and micro scale, mm-hmm. and I love I love when they do that. And if it can be done well, I I mean that's I, it's a visual effects thing. I I'm ex- really excited for. The potential that okay, there are a lot of films to get bring. through. If you take this long okay. over each one, we're never going to get there. Okay, it's <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> so, okay. So Venom. Uh, so so, but I'll see it. Yeah, bored. Aquaman. Bored. Spider Man mm. into the Spider Verse. Bored. Uh, it looks cool. The animation looks cool. Uh, X Men Dark Phoenix. I, I haven't seen the past is. couple X-Men movies, but I do like Phoenix. So that'll be Jean Grey coming back, right? Uh, Captain Marvel? Yeah. I'll see it. Shazam? <laughs> With Shaquille O'Neal? Is that The Rock? <laughs> is it The Rock or just Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah. <laughs> or Sinbad? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, then there's uh, the sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, which um, is 2019, but I don't think they've got a name for it yet. Yeah, yeah. I'll see that because I like Tom Holland. I think he's a good Spider-Man. Wonder Woman 2? Oh, yeah, I'll see that one. Uh, that's DC, but sure. Okay, Star Wars Episode 9? Uh, yes. Well, you got to see, see it. it but got to see it through. It's yeah, got to be better than uh, The Last Jedi. And <laughs> and part two of Avengers Infinity War. Well, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, you okay. got to find out how they all didn't die. Okay. Yeah, well, it's got to be like the season finale of Dallas, yeah. 
<laughs> so for me personally, films I'm really psyched to see that weren't on that list are Incredibles 2. <laughs> I, yes. I think that'll be like really, really good. And uh, mm. I just love that stuff to death. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, will be just spectacularly oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. Having seen that trailer online, I was like... Uh, Ones I'm not so enthusiastic. Oh, actually, and uh, Fantastic Beasts. I do like me a bit of the old uh, Harry yeah. Potter world. But I'm, I'm certainly not super thrilled necessarily to see uh, Johnny English rides again or whatever it is. And um, I'm not up there for uh, Aquaman. Oh, I think there's a Bumblebee film as well, like, which I think is presumably a... Um, a uh, oh, Transformers. Transformers, yeah. Origin story. Did so you see the go. trailer? you see the trailer going around today for Brian Henson's movie, The Happy... Happy Town or Happy Land Murders? Oh, Is that yeah, the yeah. Um, where? Yeah, I think I haven't seen it, but I saw that it was out. Yeah, yeah, the trailer looks amazing. My friend Brandon was supposed to shoot it. I think at some point he had told me about it, uh, maybe like eight months ago. So I was excited to see the trailer. I think it's going to be super funny. Having worked with Sesame and puppets yeah. a lot, the all the puppeteers, you know, in their outtakes are very. Uh, adult sometimes and hilarious. So I can only imagine that they had a ton of fun not having to like be. I I am so like, envious you know, of you doing that. and stuff. Hey, the other <laughs> film that's coming out in ages from now, but I'm really keen to see, which is sort of like March 2019. I'm I'm really keen to see what Tim Burton does with Dumbo. I mean, that may sound oh, yeah. like a weird thing, oh, huh. but yeah, it's like if it wasn't Tim Burton, I'd be. And and I've got to say, for for game changing films, like don't judge me. But for game-changing films, I think The Lion King uh, is going to just reset the clock. The uh, uh, from a CG standpoint, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, are I they mean, are they I'm doing pretty... that like the Jungle Book kind of thing? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like live and the action. The D twenty three reel is was jaw dropping. It was just, huh. it was unbelievably jaw dropping. And and beyond that, it's just that team, Rob Legato, just that whole. Yeah, oh, it's oh my the God. same group again. Yeah. It's going to be, cool. that will be the one I mean, that... Uh, Disney is going to basically get ready for Disney to do a live action CG mix versions of every one of those. Is, is Favreau directing the Lion King? Yep. Oh, cool. Yeah. And and to be to be 100% transparent, I've never seen the Lion King as, an, as a film. I've seen the I've stage seen play. On, I've seen the film. I've seen it on Broadway. I got kids. Yeah. yeah. But I've got to say that... Forget that for a second. Like that's good, but yeah, I, I just I'm willing to put all I'm my excited money for it. that this film will be uh, completely from a CG point of view, completely yeah, jaw droppingly off the dial, immensely amazing. Um, yeah, there is just uh, John Favreau is fast becoming one of the most interesting directors going, and I've got to say, on the same score, I'm so looking forward to Solo only because of the director. We didn't mention that, Ron Howard. Yeah. yeah, which Ron, Ron Howard. Howard? Yeah, I actually the only thing that makes me want to see it is the DP. Really? Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, wow, his name just flew out of my head. Shot Arrival and and some of uh, uh, David Lowry's early movies, uh, Ain't the Body Saints and Bradford Young. Uh, hmm. He so was. Mike, he you was, haven't seen it yet. Seen what? Solo. Solo. No, um, I, not I that I tend to discuss my private screens. life, but I haven't been able to uh, walk lately. I oh, had yeah. uh, some surgery, so I haven't been able to get to uh, cinemas to see previews. But uh, yes, have you seen it? No, no, I just I no, know, it comes out I know a couple of people who who went to yeah. Uh, there was a screener in Sydney. I couldn't go to it. Yeah, and a big one in LA. Up. 
So guys, what was um, the what was the feedback there from your buddies there, uh, Matt, who saw it? Uh, you know, well, I mean, it's always hard to say, but the feedback I heard was, uh, you know, super positive. People really, really liked it. But I, and I'm, the I'm just do, I'm, spin-off film is testament to how much that actor dominates. Well, the film. That was, Donald Glover is like king of the world right now. He's like yeah. he is so charismatic. Like I don't know, I, I that guy's awesome. But that was also yeah. a mistranslation in a French in a French article from Kathy Kennedy. They came out and they were like, "She never said that. She just said she would like to do it because she likes the character." But there, it wasn't like a hard and fast announcement. Yeah. Oh, I they thought it was testing it the waters. Though. I mean, it will be, but yeah. If we need that, I don't know if we need that. Other than the fact that Donald Glover is a good actor. But I mean, it's how hard to tell, isn't it? Like there are films that I've in the past gone, there's no way I would see this. Like Mary Poppins Returns. I'm like, I'm sorry. And then yeah. like I suddenly see a trailer or somebody tells me about something and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I've done that in yeah, the past. Yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a little dubious of like people saying, oh, it was really great. People who have seen it only in that, you know, and this is again, it's my own baggage, but like, you know, everybody said Last Jedi is going to be so great because it's Ryan Johnson and he's brilliant. He's such a great director. And I, I just... I thought that movie was really not good. <laughs> I didn't really well, enjoy it. You know, there were good, there cool that, moments. We've had that but argument, but but yeah, I mean, yes, I, so uh, so I guess when I hear people saying that, it's like, well, I feel like it's it's also, like a Caesar salad. You know, it's such like an acquired <laughs> taste. You kind of have to like, you have to. It has to be the right mix, you know, for it to work for do, you. Do, I think. Do you have the anchovies? And they also or saw not? it at the. It's only in the dressing. Yeah, Sorry. they also saw Is it, it at the premiere or too, or whatever. Yeah. But they also saw it at the premiere, which also skews it. I saw episode oh, two yeah. and three at the ranch with, like, in an audience with Lucas and celebrities and shit. And I was like, those movies are, oh, I had a great time. And I was yeah. like, wait a second. I think it's because I was at Skywalker Ranch, you know? Yeah. Well, you get, yeah. Watch it later. And you're like, oh, wait, I don't remember that in being that kind of flat theater. and weird. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, anyway. We have run out of time. We could talk for hours about upcoming films like Top Gun and uh, and whatever, but oh, yeah. but for another time, um, guys. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, obviously, uh, really appreciate your time. Sorry, we are a little late. Well, I wanted to be a little late getting this film out because obviously it's major spoilers. But I can't imagine anyone in the known universe now hasn't seen it. Um, but uh, as we like to do, Matt, where can people connect with you if they'd like to? Uh, you can always find me at my website, mattwallen.com, for all things me. And uh, I continue to uh, teach at Virginia Commonwealth University in the School of the Arts. And this summer, um, if you're in Boston, <laughs> I'm going to be in Boston from June 10th through the 15th, uh, presenting at the Munce Centennial, what is it? Munsell Centennial Color Symposium. So it's me and a bunch of color scientist nerds. Hmm. Talking about awesome. color drive for up. a week, which will be pretty fun, I think. Well, Maybe I'll we, drive up. We like nerdum, nerdum. <laughs> uh, Jason, what about you? Uh, to to clarify your point, at this point, only half the people in the known universe would be able to see this film. Ooh, uh, nice one. <laughs> but uh, I I can't continue to be at uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Jason Diamond and my. Various websites, uh, Diamond Bros and Supersphere. Excellent. And of course, I am uh, on Twitter at Mike Seymour and at uh, FX Guide. 
Um, I just wanted to also give a shout out and thanks to uh, Matt who does the editing for the show each week. So Matt, thank you so much for doing that. Much appreciated. Certainly. Uh, and Matt Leonard who's been providing us with the future VFX movie schedule that I've been quoting from. Matt Leonard, uh, we long due to have back on the show so we'll try and get him on the show as soon as we can. But um, yeah, Matt was very kind in sending us through a rundown of upcoming films that I was quoting from. I wasn't just doing all those from memory. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you guys for listening. We've had probably more tweets, emails and messages about people wanting to hear this show than any in recent times. So hopefully uh, we delivered. But if there are other shows you'd like to hear us do, like Deadpool or whatever it is, just let us know and uh, we'll try and accommodate you. But for now, I'm Mike Seymour. Thanks so much for being with us. See you guys. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.